Hi, this is John Kennedy from NJMEP, the New Jersey Manufacturing Extension Program. And this is the second edition of our new program called Manufacturing Partnerships, Making Waves. And the wave I speak of is, is a positive wave, you know, where we're going with this, this industry and how important it is, not only in New Jersey, but across the, uh, the country. Uh, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady over at Manufacturing Talk Radio asked me to, to host this and I'm learning as I go along. Um, and uh, what I've been trying to do is have a, another mep -er, uh across the country, you know, sit with me. And today we have uh, a good friend of mine, Ethan Karp. Uh, no, he is not related to Brett Favre. So I just wanted to get that cleared up. Um, but uh, you know, Ethan is uh, is a very I, I, he makes me think. So that's that's one of the reasons I always enjoy talking to Ethan. He makes me me dig deep, and his background is, I believe, in biochemistry, right? Uh, so that's uh, one portion of the the conversation to be had. Because when I was at college, we hung out with the biochem majors and you know and chemies because they always had ice, and usually they built a still. But uh, you know we'll get into that later. We, we, we come with skills. We come with, <laughs> and uh, if I'm um, also uh, correct, you're you live in the Cleveland area, and you got three daughters who we're hoping all will be engineers because we need engineers. Um, so uh, before I get to Ethan and let him talk about it, I just want to. You know, the MEP system is a national program. There's 51 of us, including Puerto Rico, and our mission's fairly simple. Um, you know, we work with manufacturers and mainly small and mid-sized, but that's the supply chain. So I always say that in New Jersey, we look at it as four pillars. Uh, we assess companies, uh, we consult, we train, and when we have to, we advocate because, uh, you know, it's very important that we raise our profile. And, you know, Ethan spends a lot of time uh, doing so. In Ohio, they have an MEP, but they have what we call sub-centers. And, uh, uh, you know, Ethan heads up one of the best over in Northeast Ohio called Magnet. And uh, Mr. Carp, or Dr. Carp, you know, we get that every once in a while. I, I don't answer to Dr. Kennedy. It sounds weird. But uh, Ethan, why don't you uh, introduce uh, yourself and, and a little bit about Magnet and some of the good work that you've been doing. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on. This is this is exciting. It's it's always wonderful to take this little best kept secret and, and share it with others, especially for all the manufacturers listening. And hopefully, you're, you're energized by the things we have to say because they're what you live every day and we're out there raising the flag and saying how important manufacturing is to our economy. In fact, in Cleveland and Northeast Ohio, half of the economy, the entire economy depends on manufacturing. It's only one in five jobs, but because of all the money that comes in and that wonderful economic multiplier where every one manufacturing job produces other jobs, be it the supply chain or the pizza parlor or the bank down the street, uh, means that half of the economy is dependent upon manufacturing. And just that fact alone in Northeast Ohio, it's a little less for the overall country, but it's still hugely important 
means that when we get to come talk about why manufacturing important, what it needs to do into the future, it's an exciting day for us. So at Magnet, we do the things that MEPs do best. We roll up our sleeves, we go inside manufacturers, and you know, in our center, we end up doing a lot of automation and machine design, new product development. We uh, help companies think through their strategies in, in sales and marketing, and of course, operations improvement, making sure that you know, all of the most modern technologies in Industry 4.0, things like collaborative robots and industrial Internet of Things, aren't just talked about, but they're actually implemented at affordable rates for companies. And then on the other side, we do a ton with startup manufacturers, folks that have a glimmer in their eye and a hope and a dream on the back of a napkin. And then in workforce, we also help the communities that we work in figure out how to get better pipelines of people into manufacturing. And that's sort of an all hands on deck group activity that we're, we, we've got a whole team working on. Well, you know, you, you, you struck a chord with me because we've had these discussions personally. You know, one of the things that I wish that we'd get more involved in is, is some of the machine design and so on, because that goes back to, you know, a former life of mine owning an engineering company that did a lot of that. Why don't you expand on that and talk about how that uh, fits into the magnet mold? So every company we go see, we, we have this approach where you mentioned it's assessment and we never know where the assessment's going to lead. When we talk to a company, uh, it could be an operations issue. It could be a, a, a quality issue. It could be a sales issue. And it's really important for us to go in with sort of blank sheet, not like a watch salesman and saying, hey, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. And very often when we go in with that approach, and we go around somebody's plant, what we see are opportunities to make the process better through either technology, automation. And then sometimes companies say, boy, I've been really thinking about a new product idea, but you know what? I don't really have engineers on staff. Or if they do have engineers on staff, they're preoccupied creating different versions of the product that you're selling, right? They're busy. And so when we go in, we're able to say, all right, we can give you that extra capacity, or we can just lend you some design expertise up front, and then you guys can take it away. Or we can do start to finish, making sure that those things are built that you need, that they're integrated with your operations and your flow, and that even designing your first iteration of machines, where we can do inside our shop uh, with partners, with other machine shops that we know, and bring it to your doorstep, troubleshoot it. And the key here is that you have a partner that is understanding your business model, isn't charging you through the nose, and is able to bring this technology right to you. And so when you're just thinking about maybe something more technologically advanced or a machine might do it, we're able to come in and quickly assess, does that make sense? And our own staff, we've built up over years and years and years of finding these just world-class design engineers, lots of mechanical and electrical. But the thing you got to know is when we go out and find a, a an engineering person to come on board, it's not necessarily the talent that they bring, it's the breadth that they bring. So they're talented by virtue of, they've seen everything from a candy making uh, machine to a, you know, something inside a car to a, to a designing a toy. And that breadth of knowledge is really what we're bringing to a small company uh, to be able to think differently about their products. And it's really hard to find in engineering in general 
that sort of broad range of understanding of the manufacturing sector. So we think it's really important for manufacturers. They, they need that automation. They need those new products. They need that integration of technology. And that's one of the pieces when they walk in the door and they tell us what they need or they show us their plant and we see opportunities we can bring to them. Yeah, you actually answered my question because I mean, to me that that is what has to happen. You need that experience level so that you can because, you know, the reality is, is that we all work with a myriad of, of companies and they have different skill sets. We've done a lot of facility layouts and, and so on because it's an offshoot of, of a Lean Six Sigma value stream map. But uh, I like the way you've taken it a step further, you know, and, uh, you know, I think that that is something, you know, when we talk about the national network and, you know, centers working with centers that's certainly something that uh, i think new jersey should knock on your door and talk to you about in the in the future Let's turns out one of the easiest things to do remotely is our engineering work it's mostly done off-site once you do the assessments until you actually have to deliver the piece of equipment so it's a great way to leverage resources across the country which is you know one of the things mep is all about yeah well believe me you know when I owned my company, uh, you know, we worked in, in fact, I did a lot of projects in Cleveland and Cincinnati and so on over the years, Columbus. Uh, but, uh, you know, we worked with a lot of different companies. And even then, when, you know, it was much easier to do an engineering project back and forth, you know, with antiquated internet than, than a lot of other things. Unfortunately, when you get out there and you have to installation and commission, that's where it changes, and and that's uh, and that's okay because that's to me that's the fun part because you see your stuff working. Uh, let me touch base with that because I mean, uh, as I said, my my sequence of of some of the thoughts and questions, um, you know, lead to the different areas, and you know, I know what. New Jersey is famous for in manufacturing. We do a lot of life science, bio, you know, that's a huge market for us. But people don't realize that we're also big in rubber and plastics, uh, food manufacturing, you know, fragrances, believe it or not. And when I jumped over and looked a little bit about Ohio, you know, I got some things and I'll you know, general purpose machinery, motor vehicle, navigation, aerospace, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, you know, a laundry list. So why don't you make it a little bit more finite for us of where you find a lot of your client support? What, what areas? It's not finite. I like to tell people when they, when they ask about, you know, what, what's, what's made around you, I say it's kind of pieces and parts for everything. In fact, now across the state, you have some bigger companies that you'd know of, like the PNGs of the world. But in general, like if you look around Cleveland, your audience might know it, but they're not household names. Parker, Eaton, Louvrezol, big companies, Swagelock. I mean, thousands of people worldwide, but they're not household names because they're very B2B companies. And then you get a ton, the 11, 12,000 just in Northeast Ohio manufacturers are and that's about half the state, they're tier two, tier three to every possible industry. 
We've got a lot of food production. We've got, you know, Akron, Ohio, you've got lots of rubber and you've got lots of plastic, less rubber now, more plastics. You've got the metal companies of every shape and sort, every type of machine shop you might consider. And then of course your, your high-end outfits like uh, the swage locks of the world making all the various products that they do that keep people safe from, uh, you know, sensitive application for valves and fittings and those sorts of things. Lincoln Electric is housed nearby. Also, uh, I'm sure a love of at least half of you in the audience who uh, use their products and, and they're proudly they're proudly stationed here. But again, just not household names, but truly pieces and parts of, of so many different industries. I, I'm not sure what industry, maybe fragrances. I've never heard of fragrances uh, near us. Uh, that, that, that's one that I, I'm not sure we're so big into. Well, you know, it's a perfect answer, Ethan. You know, I'll be honest with you. I'm glad that you spoke about that because the reality is, is I think that most of our manufacturers aren't huge, you know, in, in any state, not in New Jersey, not in Ohio. And yeah, there's some big guys and it scared me that I knew Parker and Swedgelock and, uh, and, and I have a Lincoln welder in my garage, you know, so, you know, but I'm, I'm that uh, nerd, you know, that loves that type of stuff. But it's supply chain. It's all about supply chain. And that to me is what's so extremely critical about our industry. Sometimes we tend to forget that Ford and GM are great companies, but they do mostly assembly now. Uh, Boeing, I read where 3% of their 777 is actually manufactured by Boeing. So you know, that's so critical, whether it's in New Jersey or Ohio. And, you know, do you see that as something that you have to remind people of uh, in Ohio, or are they very aware of that? All the time. It's truly, you know, it's truly a shame that with the drop in employment across the country in manufacturing, because of some amount of offshoring, but also all the automation that's already happened, all the leaning out of factories that's already happened, where we can produce so much more with so many fewer people that, you know, people have a, a dated view of what manufacturing looks like, because the last time they were really exposed to a plant was X number of years ago in the 70s. And that view also leads to this sense of it being a dying industry. When in Ohio, we make more product than we've literally ever made before. New Jersey too. And so it's, it's I wouldn't even say surprising, it's frustrating that these manufacturers, be they mom and pop or these multi-billion dollar enterprises are literally in people's backyard and you wouldn't know it. You literally wouldn't know it. You can go around some of our, you know, if it's not in an actual industrial park and it's been there for 60 years, you'd go by and be like, yeah, I see that nondescript building over there and not think anything of it as you pass it every single day. And it's those manufacturers that are the backbone of our economy. And so, yeah, I don't think people are aware at all of the importance of the sector, how it works, what those folks do. And I think it's important people see that for at least two reasons. One, public investment, support by the community, supportive business communities, all of that is gonna be based off of if, if everybody forgets about manufacturing, nobody's gonna to wanna to support it. 
So we need people to know how important it is for that reason. And the second reason is for the future of the workforce. We know that there's huge gaps in the workforce. And if people don't know manufacturing exists and they think of it poorly, they're not even going to take the first steps to get that advanced training to get good paying careers in manufacturing. And we see that happening right now. So we've got to reverse that. I personally don't think we do it through broad-based marketing. I think we do it through very targeted interventions with individuals who are excited about seeing a manufacturing plant, opening your doors, doing a plant tour, and then getting them immediately into employment or into training. That's, that's how I see that working. And that's a lot of the efforts of our workforce team is to figure out how do we create those pathways. But over time, as more people get exposure, we're going to have more people changing their minds and realizing what manufacturing really is today. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, exposure. You know, I mean, the, the blessing that I had as a kid, I didn't grow up with a lot of money, but I grew up with a dad and mom who believed in education, but they also believed in being exposed to opportunities and, and so on. So I worked at a machine shop and I learned to weld and yep, I wanted to go to college, but how do you pay for college? Well, you know what, being an apprentice, an electrical apprentice uh, allowed me to, you know, help pay for college. That and baseball, you know, helped me get through, you know, and now looking back, I'm very proud of that, that growth and that experience because that made me a better engineer. You know, I can apply things together. I can see things differently, you know, and now four college degrees later, I still believe that some of that foundational learning was the most important part of my education. And so I'm glad that you said that. And you're right, you know, workforce development. Here we have an industry that needs people, provides great pay, great careers. Wow, we can't get people in. It just doesn't make sense. That's why I teased you a little bit about your daughters, but I'm serious. You know, uh, I would love to see all of them take up, you know, into engineering and, and programs like that, because that's so damn critical to us. And, and it, that does scare me. Yeah, you mentioned workforce development. I'm going to let you talk a little bit about what Magnet's doing, what, what do you see going on in in Ohio, uh, do you see your role increasing in workforce development? It's increasing. And it's increasing every day. The need is there, but also the complexity of solving the problem is so immense. And we've been doing things related to workforce as many of the MEPs across the country have for years and years and years. And what we had done for a long time was mainly focused on raising awareness. And, but it was done in isolation. It was awareness and then you leave and you don't connect with the students again. And unless they get to a career tech school, which I'm so happy exist, they're likely never to go into manufacturing. On the career tech side, we know there's just not enough of them. And there's not enough dollars to build enough brick and mortar career tech schools to get enough students out. And even when you have a great community college, like we have some tremendous community colleges, state-of-the-art technology for all of the things one might want to learn to enter CNC or welding, all those entry and mid-skill level jobs that are in such high demand, even when those are there, it's hard to find people to go into those programs, uh -huh. especially when you're competing with healthcare, with IT, who need the same talent. 
So when we get into this and it's local, it's community by community, that also makes it challenging. Your workforce makeup, where your populations of people are, who are those intermediary organizations? The, you know, the federal government through the Department of Labor pays for the folks that help you when you get, you know, you're out of a job and you go and you, you need some help. Those organizations provide training dollars for manufacturing and all those careers. And, and there's a lot of money, like in, in Cuyahoga County, that's, that's 10, $20 million a year that's going in just to help one county's worth of people. In fact, the organization sees 15,000 people a year that would like a job. There's still a gap of a couple thousand people in manufacturing that are, ongoing, that are not going filled. And detangling why that is, why we have great education facilities, great, we have a lot of money going into organizations that are supposed to help people find these good jobs. And yet we do not have them filled in this critical sector of the economy means there are breakdowns in the entire system. Uh And so we've tackled this and I know New Jersey has tackled this as well in different ways. On one half of us, we've said, we really need to figure out how European style apprenticeship works and how it can work not in career tech schools but in inner city high schools. I'll get to the diversity in a moment, which we think is critically important. But for right now, just the business imperative of saying, look, you can get a person in the top 25% of their class in an inner city high school that sees this not as an alternative to college, but actually as their way to pay for college. Just like you were talking about, just like when you went to school, right? This will pay for their college and a good career after that if they want to become an engineer and they want to stick with it. And so how do you figure that out with transportation and mentorship and and all of the other barriers that someone might face to getting into manufacturing? That's one half. The other half is even more complicated because what we said is, look, in Cuyahoga County, we probably have 40 different organizations, all that say workforce. And if anybody here is listening and has tried to engage your workforce system, you know what I'm talking about. Literally, dozens and dozens of, um, of organizations, nonprofits, truly altruistic, truly believing, truly helping people, but not connecting with your organization. And if you do try and connect, well, now you've got 40 different organizations to talk to. So we're intermediating, we're facilitating. We're saying, all right, employers, manufacturers, what do you want? Come together, group your demand, open X number of slots for people with criminal backgrounds. We're gonna go and work with the workforce intermediaries, the nonprofits here that do a really good job at that. And we're gonna take curriculum from, you know, EMA, one of our big associations, about just the things that you need. And we're going to get sort of the soft skills component from local workforce organizations. We're going to put them all together. This is earth shattering. We're going to put them all together and we're going to get you an actual pipeline of these folks who hopefully will be your loyal employees for many, many years to come. And then separately, we're going to target this neighborhood, which has 70% unemployment for, for males between the age of 18 and 24. And we're going to try and find who those folks are and get them excited. And then the third path, we're going to go after high school seniors who don't know what they're going to do after college, second semester seniors. We're going to learn who they are while they're in school, get them a plant tour, and hopefully attract some of them. And in this way, we're going to piece by piece put pipelines together. And it's all going to be based off of what the manufacturers want to do, facilitated by a gatekeeper, by us, working with all of these community resources, which are already in place, supposedly to help companies just like the manufacturers. And when we do this, we'll have hundreds and thousands of people getting these awesome careers in manufacturing. And I said I would round out about diversity. This is also, we've heard a lot this year about racial equity, 
diversity. Well, this is the marrying of that social justice cause with true business results. If we go after in Cleveland, where there's a huge racial disparity among the worst in the country, if we simply target populations that right now aren't getting into manufacturing, but need good careers, need good opportunities, and they happen to be predominantly minority, predominantly black, we are going to diversify the workforce, which is primarily in white suburban areas. And so we will both be a positive force for change while getting the manufacturers the talent that they need. And, and this is the beauty of doing the work and the results. It's also the challenge of actually putting the pieces together. That's what we do. We expect it to be an increasing portion of what we do. And there are organizations that do this what's called sector partnership work. That's the whole idea of this thing across the state, focusing on this in every one of their communities. I love what you say about, uh, you know, the role of the MEP, you know, in, in this, because that's what I found. I mean, when I first came here eight and a half years ago, I made an assumption that uh, the pieces were all there and we just weren't, we, meaning the industry, just weren't using them. The reality is, is that some of the pieces are there, but there's no linchpin. There's nothing in the middle, being that intermediary, bringing in things, developing, you know, programs that fit, but also the understanding of the industry. And, and that's a big gap. You know, there's a lot of schools that they're great. You know, our county colleges, community colleges in New Jersey are excellent schools, but they don't necessarily understand what the industry needs. And that's a key aspect of, of what I think the MEPs can do. And I, I love your point about diversity because I laugh back to my manufacturing company. You know, we had 62 people and uh, it, it, we had two white guys, you know, <laughs> because that was, you know, I think that New Jersey being New Jersey, I mean, we are really truly a melting pot because we're an entry level. And I think manufacturers got in this area got smart really quickly when they couldn't get the the white kids from suburbia they they decided to look at diversity and it's a positive because this has given people of color an opportunity to grow but now as they expand in that industry it gives them a place to to maybe own their own company someday because that's how it works and it's exciting to see that now starting to happen more. Have we done enough? No, I really don't give a damn where somebody's from. I give a damn about whether they can be a positive part of my, my company. And we need to do that. In Cleveland, the real difficulty though is that most of the companies have moved out to the suburbs and we've got this great racial and geographic disparity. So there are true real barriers facing companies and individuals trying to get manufacturing, transportation being cheap among them. It takes two hours to get to where there's the first job hub, we call them, where all these manufacturers are in one of the suburbs, just 10 minutes from my house where I am right now, but it's, it's 20 minute drive down to the city and it's a two hour public transportation ride to get there. And that's a huge barrier. And it's a real chicken or egg problem because you could say, well, put more buses. 
well, but there's nobody that has the jobs right now. So you're going to put a whole bunch of buses that are going to run empty for how long until we actually make the connection and, and, and start making the, the transportation work. Yeah. So there's a lot of these barriers. And so it really requires, you know, intentionality is, is a lot of the words when you, when you talk about racial equity, being intentional, but it needs to be intentional to say, I would like to overcome these barriers for the sake of tapping good populations of people for my workforce, as well as overcoming some of these barriers, which really shouldn't be there in the first place. Well, you know, but they are. So, I mean, you got to solve the problem, you know, I mean, you know, and that that's, you know, we look at it not only with, you know, uh, blacks or Hispanics, but we also look at it with women. We look at it with reentry, as you mentioned, you know, which is all races, colors, creeds, you know, but they got to have good jobs. You know, they're smart people. They just made a, a mistake. And also veterans, you know, we see a lot of veterans in, in New Jersey that the unemployment rate is low, but a lot of them just went into security jobs and so on, which at certain levels are well-paid, but most levels are not. So, you know, we're trying to tap in because what better, what better source of, uh, you know, technical knowledge and stuff than a, than a veteran in today's, uh, you know, service. So uh, great points, Ethan. I really, I really do appreciate that, that thought process. I want to finish up on something that I started with uh, Mr. Buckley Brinkman from uh, Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, we, you know, he did an okay job, you know, he's, he's a lot smarter than he lets on. So, uh, and I hope he watches this because then I can tease him. But uh, I call it the fast five. And just asking you for, to gonna ask the question, throw out an answer, you know, it doesn't, whatever comes first. So, and these questions were based upon the questions that, that I get asked all the time as a center director. Uh, so, and- I'm ready, I'm man, I'm ready. You got it, you up? All right. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit him out of the park. You like baseball? I'm gonna hit him out of the park. All right. I have no idea what they are, but let's go. <laughs> Number one is manufacturing in the U.S. debt. Absolutely not. In fact, I start with my all my presentations with this one, and there we go. More than we've ever produced before. That one normally shocks people. Even yep. manufacturers don't realize that one. I'll tell you, New Jersey manufacturers say, "Well, we're pretty dead here," and I say, "Do you know there's eleven thousand of us?" And they say, really? So yeah, I get it. Number two, can the US economy exist or thrive without manufacturing? I don't think so. I, I, I you know, in, in, I'm gonna go into politics just slightly here and say, I think it's remarkable that both President Trump and President Biden with so much that is diametrically opposed and they went about it different ways, but both of them doubled down on protecting and keeping manufacturing jobs here. Totally separate philosophies about everything, different ideas on how to protect it. But we're 20 days into the administration and they've already announced publicly that buying American is gonna be the priority and even putting measures of how they're gonna do that. That, that's, that is a statement to say that even our presidency, this is critical for our economy. Agree wholeheartedly. Here's one that, uh, you know, I get twisted around with me quite a bit. Why can't we, meaning MEPs, 
uh, in our role, convince our respective governments, state and federal, to support this critical industry. Got to ask you, I got to ask a follow-up, support them in what way? Well, you know, in, in many ways, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's no, in New Jersey, let's as an example, there's no tax breaks, there's no support. Uh, workforce development is starting to increase, but it's not a focus. And when you talk about 11,000 companies and 400,000 employees, that's a big ass impact in New Jersey as well as it is in Ohio. Do you see, do you see it as a, as an issue uh, or not? That's okay. So I'm speaking from the Ohio perspective, where I got to say a lot of of support does come MEP's way. It, it, you know, it's definitely on the the agenda of of the governor, lieutenant governor, they, they, and and our privatized economic development. They absolutely put money and focus into manufacturers to take it to the next level, though. I think it's up to the manufacturers working together to do so. And I think that's where we get into an issue where we see a lot of money, for example, go into healthcare. And healthcare in Northeast Ohio, we have monolithic, amazing companies like Cleveland Clinic. And so it's not, it's not any huge wonder that Cleveland Clinic has the clout, has the esteem of the entire world. And so when they're describing what sort of research and how they would like to be supported, they get that support because they are large and powerful. Manufacturers, like we've just described, without household names spread across 11,000, have a tougher time coming together to advocate together. And that's why you need groups like the Ohio Manufacturers Association and each, each state has their own and, and NAM. We need that. But at the end of the day, it's the power of the voice of manufacturers banding together around a strategy or around something that they see as really important. And we're seeing a lot of lift in Ohio around focusing on these workforce issues. In fact, this sector partnership concept was created in part to try to have a common voice. If all of the regions have their own manufacturers who are coming together, solving the workforce challenge in their unique way, in their unique communities, but telling the state through the association what they all need, then there's a much better chance that the government can rally itself to support those causes because it means jobs, it means wealth creation, and it means a healthy manufacturing sector. So I think that the, the, the move toward getting better at collecting manufacturers together to tell that story and focusing on what is most important is critical. And I gotta tell you, focusing on just, we need workers is not the same as if you invested in these three programs in these three ways, we would get it done. And, and that's where I often see the breakdown. Everyone can agree they need workers but very few can go to the end point and articulate. And if you put these three public policies in place and supported these things, it would work. Yeah. I hate to tell you this will scare you, but that's pretty much the exact same answer that I would give. So <laughs> sorry about that. You know, I, mean, <laughs> I worry about your girls now. Hey. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, number four, Outside of workforce development and staffing, which we've talked about, what is the number one issue in your mind for manufacturers to overcome? Risk aversion. And it's actually the same for workforce as well. These programs I'm talking about might take a risk on a returning citizen, on somebody who has a background. You might have to take a risk on putting some money into some transportation solutions. Heck, 
you might have to raise your bottom levels of wages because maybe $15 isn't even enough anymore when you got Amazon out there. Those are all risk decisions. But the biggest risk decision that needs to be made that is very, very expensive is going to be about applying technology in your company. Collaborative robots, industry 4.0, smart technologies, all of these things, there is something that is actually practical for your company, no matter what your size. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to bite the bullet, make that investment, experiment to figure out exactly how it drives value. And then you're going to see the ROI and you're going to invest more heavily. But you've got to be putting in that vision for 10 years from now saying, I need to be technologically advanced like XYZ. And that's only going to start if you start putting money toward it today. And the same thing goes for product development and new services. And if you're a contract manufacturer, figuring out those ancillary services and value adds that keep you as a valued subcontractor to somebody, those are the investments that I'm talking about need to be made. And being risky and taking all the money out of your company for the next 10 years isn't going to do the economy any good. It's not going to do the future of your employees any good. That is the biggest challenge facing manufacturing. I like that answer. I'm going to steal it. Have at it. I'm serious. I like that. That's something I, I hadn't thought of in that, that vein. That's thank you. Uh, the last one, uh, and I put we in quotes, so, you know, you got to do what we got to do. And, uh, are we gaining enough ground in this industry? Are we gaining enough? And I get asked this question all the time. And I don't necessarily always know how to answer it. Are we gaining enough ground? Hmm. It's a good question. And it's actually one I cannot answer because I can't answer that immediately. When you say that, I think of technology and those technology advancements. And I don't know of a single study that actually compares, except anecdotally, how our small companies are doing against other uh, countries. And if I knew that, I would tell you. Anecdotally, it feels like we're falling behind, but I don't have the data to support that. I do know that our small manufacturers are barely scratching the surface based on surveys we take every year of hundreds. They're barely scratching the surface of these new technologies. And anecdotally, Germany, whether it's culture, government support, who knows, has a lot more, you know, they're further ahead on that curve. And certainly anybody that goes to China and checks out their factories is going to be, you know, super impressed by the fact that you got some really high-end automated factories out there. So I'm not saying we don't have that here, but it does feel like we, we aren't exactly on the upswing yet of, of making all of these investments, and, and we need to. And in some ways, we have a little bit of a disadvantage compared to a China, ignoring all of the subsidies that their companies might get to actually make these investments, but they're newer. <laughs> they, they, they don't have processes that are 30 years old that have worked for 30 years that they have to disassemble. They're looking and saying, well, we had nothing. We made people do it cheaply. And now let's just put in the most state-of-the-art system because that's what we're growing to. And so they're, they're, they've got all that sort of boost in energy. We got to make sure that we match it, which by the way, is how we reshore product. We have to invest in the technology. Then we will, I'm sure, be able to make it more cheaply and better than any of our overseas competition. It's an intriguing answer. And, and I'll add my portion to that is that I don't disagree with your statement, but I also worry about the amount of engineers that we're producing, the amount of scientists that we're producing. You know, I I worry about that because if you do compare those to other nations like China, India, and so on, 
we just don't do enough of that. And there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of not anecdote, like there's a bunch of through COVID, like thousands and thousands and thousands of out of work engineers in India right now because that's what they're producing. And you got to believe that those engineers are eventually going to start innovating, creating things like talented people come up with stuff. So yeah. you're totally right on that. It, it just worries me. I've worked with kids for, you know, young adults for many years through scouting and mentoring programs. And it's amazing how many say, I want to be an engineer, Mr. K. And then I see them after freshman year and they said, well, I, it, it's pretty damn hard. So I decided to yeah, it's hard. It's okay. You know, uh, and you talk about risk averse, you know, sometimes you're not going to get the A plus. That's okay. As long as you learn. So thank you, Ian. I really want to, uh, you know, do a, you know, a shout out to you guys out there at Magnet, uh, you know, for the work you're doing. And I appreciate you coming on this show. And uh, as I am taught by Olga, because if I don't do this, she'll be mad at me, and she's tough. So, uh, you know, we uh, this is uh, manufacturing partnerships making waves. Our second edition, we had on Dr. Ethan Carp, who was president and CEO of Magnet out in Ohio, and uh, this is John Kennedy from NJMEP, and we're out. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.